0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ABA Law Student Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Sandy Gallant. I'm the Seventh Circuit Governor with the ABA Law Student Division, representing the states of Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. I'm currently a 2L at Northern Illinois University College of Law in DeKalb, and today we are broadcasting from the ABA Annual 2016 in San Francisco, California, where the crews are working hard here, tearing down the equipment, so you might be hearing some background noise. Our show today is sponsored by the American Bar Association Law Student Division, In this monthly podcast, we cover topics that are of interest to you, law students, and recent graduates. We're going to be talking to you about a variety of issues, from finals to the bar exam and everything in between. We hope this show is a trusted resource for all of our listeners. And when we come back, we're going to talk to a five-guy panel who are all JDs and who are going to talk about going on a non-traditional career path. Stay with us.
1: Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to The Legal Talk Network.
0: All right, we've got the five-guy roundtable, and you heard the names, but let's go through and introduce everybody. First off, Joe, Patrice, tell us who you are.
2: Um, Who I am is a, well, that's a very existential question. I am an editor at Above the Law, which is your one-stop location for all the embarrassing things lawyers do. I also uh, host a show on this network. You might have heard me throughout this weekend uh, at Thinking Like a Lawyer. Chad Burton. Hi, I'm Chad
0: Burton.
3: I'm CEO of Curo Legal. We do tech development and consulting for law firms and bar associations.
0: Chaz Rampathal.
4: Uh, Chaz Rampathal. I'm general counsel
0: at LegalZoom. Joshua Lennon.
5: I'm Joshua Lennon, the lawyer in
6: residence at Clio.
0: Lawrence Coletti.
6: I'm Lawrence Coletti, executive producer for Legal Tech Network.
0: Okay, so what are we talking about, guys? We're talking about law careers. I know law students, we're all in law school, and we're thinking, gosh, one, how do we get through law school? And then, then the second thought is, Uh, how do we pass the bar? And then the third thing is, what am I gonna do with my life? And what's really interesting about the five guy round table today is that they're doing something a little beyond the practice of law traditionally. So Joe, Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit, first of all, where did you go to school? How did you start off initially after law school? And how did you get to where you're at now?
2: That is a long and winding path that I am happy to share. I went to- Fortunately,
3: we have three hours.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I went to NYU School of Law and then go violets. That is actually the mascot, Um, a flower. So I went to NYU, then I worked at Cleary Gottlieb in New York uh, as a litigator. I moved from there after a few years to uh, Lankler Siffert & Wool, which is a white collar criminal defense boutique. Uh, and after several years of that, I looked at my bank account and realized that I didn't ha- I had a minuscule amount of loans left to repay, and I didn't have to do this anymore. So I left the practice of law and started freelance writing and including a column for above the law. And then when they needed a full-time person, I joined up.
0: And now you're also hosting a show on Legal Talk Network. That mm-hmm. transition to radio—that had to been fun.
2: It was because, as you well know, the Legal Talk Network pays us handsomely for our, <laughs> our time here. Like it's it's like Howard Stern levels of money. Uh, but no, it's great because I get an opportunity to talk to people and engage and kind of have fun with them directly rather than behind a keyboard all the time.
0: Chad, tell me a little bit about Cura Legal.
3: So. We are working with bars and law firms across the country to modernize, practice, use new technology and develop technology. I started practicing as well, bigger firms, and went into the small firm world, started a virtual law firm model that then kind of led into other lawyers asking, how do I do this? How do I start a new business model? And then that's where Curo came from, which started out as helping others and the consulting side, which then led to the tech development.
0: And Chaz, LegalZoom, uh, we've seen the commercials on the tube. Absolutely. Um, and um, did you start off originally practicing with clients face-to-face and making that transition?
4: So after I uh, after I got out of USC, uh, Southern California, not South Carolina, uh, for law school, I ended up at Thielen Reed and Priest as a litigator. Did that for almost two years, and then one day stumbled upon my soul and decided to move over to transactional work. Uh, moved out to Boston with Testa Hurwitz and Tebow. Uh, did a ton of work really representing a lot of early stage companies. And uh, one day the this company just showed up and it, it was LegalZoom. I had actually started out doing a little practice on my own where I had a lot of face-to-face with clients. And I realized that as a sole practitioner or a, a small law firm lawyer, I could interact with a a few dozen clients. And at LegalZoom, I could really help thousands and actually what ended up being millions of people with their legal needs.
0: I know one name that is starting to really become uh, more familiar among law schools across the country is Clio. It's a unique website. And Joshua, tell us a little bit about Clio for folks who are unfamiliar with it. Um, I will tell you personally, I was introduced to Clio through a technology and law class at NIU last well
5: Thank you. I'm glad to hear that our outreach is going really well for law students. So Clio is a cloud-based practice management software. It allows you to manage everything from your firm, from client intake to invoicing them when the work is done. We help you manage your contacts, your case files, and your communications. It's a neat business because we've taken the internet and applied it at scale to help lawyers build a better practice.
0: And Lawrence, you're with Legal Talk Network, and you also happen to have a JD, and uh, your legal career has had some interesting twists and turns as well.
6: Yes, yes, it has. So, anyway, I moved up to Colorado and I started doing some consulting, and my consulting turned into legal work. So, I was doing a lot of business planning and pro formas for different uh, companies, and uh, sometimes that would turn into some legal work. So, yeah, I passed the bar in Colorado, and then uh, shortly after kind of doing the actual legal practice part of it uh, recession and uh, you know caught up with me and it was tough getting established did a lot of doc review so i certainly read above the laws uh commentary on some of the document review projects it could certainly relate but it was paying the bills for a while and it was tough eking it out legal talk network was an application i filled out uh, as kind of my last hurrah in law If I didn't get a job at that point in law, I was going to leave and not come back. It was getting a little frustrating being several years out and not being able to practice the way I wanted to. And so uh, I was going to have to start making some choices. And this was kind of in the last round of hoorah during a Christmas break, found this on, uh, it was Craigslist. And Mm -hmm. it was uh, something I initially scrolled by and it was one of those uh, kind of like second catch moments. Like, wait a minute, that was pretty
3: interesting. Opened it up, read it, filled it out. The rest is history. So did he, Trent? Uh, did Trent make you meet in an alley for Craigslist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for part no, of the interview but, process. Uh, the for job
4: descriptions out of the trunk of his car.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so no, but those who are
6: familiar with Denver. The interview is certainly in five points, and so that's got a checkered history. Uh, but uh, now it is part of a renov. Uh, it's a renovated <laughs> district called the Rhino Arts District. So a lot of marijuana establishments there and breweries and software developers, which happens to work out for us. All three of
5: those go together really well. absolutely.
0: So what I really like about all five of our guests today is that they have taken their Juris Doctorate and they've gone beyond the courtroom and they've really molded their own path and they've done something really fun and unique. And I guess that's the point that uh, in talking with our law students today, our listeners, how would you like law students to really imagine their futures beyond the courtroom? Um,
2: oh, that's a good one. Yeah, no, I mean, I- indebted? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, I, I, my, my personal advice that I give people all the time is if you don't know what you what you want to do with your practice going forward, you should, uh, you should do some experimenting. I, yeah. I always feel like, I, w- I enjoyed litigation, but I feel like I fell into it largely because I'd seen Perry Mason I understood that's what lawyers do and w- I don't know. Uh, meanwhile, I've since leaving, you know, as my career evolved, I talked to transactional lawyers and I was like, oh, I would have been much better at this. Why the hell did I do what I did? <laughs> so uh, find out, meet more people, try new things. That's the stuff that I'd say. And
3: I mean, part of the difference between 2016 and even you know, 10, 15 years ago, it used to be in law school where I remember a case where I went, they talked about the, you don't have to be a practicing lawyer, but it was kind of like they were patting you on the head saying, you know, the bottom third of the class needs to go somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So not everybody has to be a lawyer. So, But now it's, I mean, five examples here are very different kind of non-practicing roles. I know there's just so many different ways of... Jumping into existing alternatives, or to you know, create your own, be creative with it.
4: And, and I think that's that is it, it, those are really good advice. I when I talk with law students, I do so quite a bit. Uh, other than saying, number one rule is just don't be a jerk during law school. The people that you meet every single day are going to end up being, you know, the captains of industry. They're going to be the people that are out there looking for lawyers just like you, or possibly wanting to serve you as as an entrepreneur. Uh, The next would be that if you can enter into the traditional practice, that's fine and that's something that's great. The traditional practice is not a bad practice. It's just evolving a little bit and you should learn to evolve with it. But if you don't want to enter the traditional practice, you should really find a problem that needs solving and solve it, right? And I've heard everyone from Dan Lear at Avvo to others say, find a problem, solve it. You're going to make yourself indispensable to the consumer that you're out there helping.
5: I think one thing that's very interesting is career services don't tell you a lot of the longitudinal stats when it comes to a legal career. Like, for example, most lawyers in their first role leave inside of five years. They don't stick around. And that's not a bad thing. The industry is evolving and people evolve as they exist in it. So don't feel like your first job out of law school is your only job. It's going to be a great place to learn some skills. It's going to be a great place to learn more about yourself. It's going to be a great place to help people. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's the only place you're going to be. And you should be okay with, if you're interested in something else or unhappy with where you are, taking a look for something new.
0: I love that you guys are all speaking passionately about this. You've obviously got a fire that really drives you and and wanting to do a great job with the jobs that you have. I'm curious how all of you were in law school. How would you describe yourself as a law student?
5: I'll jump in on that. I was weirdly collaborative. So I remember one time uh classmate was having trouble in class and i just loaned her my little study guide and she looked at me like i had two heads like why would you do that and i honestly believe that if you can find a win-win solution that is the best solution and that's the place we need to start from
4: yeah oddly enough i I feel like a few times i've been described by others as affable i did look it up i found out it wasn't bad so that made me happy um you know look I, i i Look, I feel that you have such a limited amount of time to to make really great colleagues and friends that you should be doing it anywhere you possibly can. And the advice that I gave earlier has come to fruition for me. You know, if I take a look at the jobs that I've gotten after law school, most of them have come from either knowing somebody or being nice to somebody that I was either in law school with or, or affiliated through the law school with. And that doesn't happen for everybody who's a bit of a shut-in and who doesn't want to get out and show that they're the kind of person that is employable and engaged and energetic.
3: I totally would have thought you'd been the guy that, like, hides the books. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned something Wait a minute. There were
4: books in school? (laughs) Oh! oh, You're that kind. (laughs) So
3: you're the bottom third. Okay, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Um, I think I was a... Probably just like a normal student. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's I don't I'm trying to think of what I was like. I mean, I remember. Like, I mean, probably every couple months, I remember that first exam I took, and it was criminal law that I was like convinced that I failed it, and I didn't obviously because I'm great. Um, oh, but no, just, and <laughs> modest. No, and, and modest. Yeah, but no, it's um, it's one of those things where you know, I, I just remember the like the fear of not doing well and just need, and mm-hmm. that's, that kind of drove everything. And then it went to the bar and then it kept going from there.
2: Uh, I, You know, I think there's some, a few trends that I'm hearing. Like I, I also was somewhat collaborative, although I felt like NYU largely was, a lot of us were handing things to each other. There was no real book hiding or anything like that. And I was also, I would say I was very affable. Like I, I was much happier. At the bar than studying the bar. Amen. Uh, all, everybody on Thursday nights when class was bar done, review. everybody hey, was out. That's when we,
0: we have our barbecue. That's too. when everyone has <laughs> their barbecue. <review. laughs>
2: yeah, and I mean, it, it was a much more uh, go out, meet people, have fun. I didn't worry a ton. I mean, obviously, you worry right around exam time, but uh, I was also, you know, it, you're there, meet people, learn a few things. I was kind of laid back about it. I, uh,
6: I worked hard and I played hard. You know, I think I think I had a very good experience with it. I was as involved as I could be, and I didn't hold anything back. And uh, you know, it certainly was a challenge. It was uh, one of the more difficult things in my life because I was not a natural student for law school, and so I had to find new ways to break through my weaknesses.
0: You know, there's always going to be a need in the legal field for litigators and for mediators. But I'm curious how, if you guys could, you know, look into your own crystal balls, how do you foresee technology and the law um, really commingling in the future?
4: Look, technology and law. The interesting thing about law and technology is a lot of people take a look and they say, we need to create some new technology so law can be practiced better. And I always tell people, we need to do a better job of using existing technology to make law better. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the rules and the regulations and how we as lawyers have set up the sandbox that we play in. And if we could broaden it up a little bit, open it up a little bit, things like advertising and online media, um, taking a look at collaborating with people who are outside of the traditional legal profession... I guess I have to say that Uh, and really looking at new ways to practice, not just to satisfy the need we have as lawyers, but to satisfy the needs they have as consumers. And if we can start opening up and doing that, we'll find that technology will just kind of happen. It will just it'll just kind of flow in naturally in the way it's done in other industries.
0: Joshua from Clio. So I think
5: technology enables lawyers to be better. I'm a little biased that way. But I think there are other careers outside of being a traditional lawyer and using technology. We're going to start seeing law embedded more and more into the devices and the tools that we use. Uh, An example may be that if you are an Uber driver, your car can just no longer speed anymore, right? The computer will just tell it not to. And we need lawyers and technologists to both embed those laws, write those laws, and update those laws as technology progresses.
2: If if Uber couldn't speed, I would not have made it to this. To this. So hold on there. So that
5: might change. That
3: Spe-
4: speeding in San Francisco is like fourteen miles an hour, though. I mean, <laughs>
3: New York at three a.m. It was actually pretty fast.
0: What do you think, Chad?
3: Three of us uh, just came from the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services uh, presentation of their report and recommendations, and part of the work of that commission looked at the role of technology and and it's dead on from what Chaz is saying and, and what Joshua is saying as well, where I mean, it's gonna play a huge role in this and it's gonna help in a lot of different ways. And do we have to you know, create technology just to create technology? No, but we have to be solving real problems. And so there's a lot of good stuff out there that could be better. Uh, so let's take what we're doing. That was a the theme of the recommendations, right? It was not like, it wasn't, the recommendations weren't all, here's the new stuff we have to do to survive. It was, Let's take what we're doing now and just, and you know, a first step is just doing that better. Yeah. And that means using technology better.
0: Okay, so how could law schools really accommodate the change that is occurring in technology and the law in terms of really crafting their curriculum?
3: So I teach the law practice management course at the University of Dayton's Law School. So these are mostly 3Ls who, second semester, third year, about to go out and practice. And a lot of Dayton students start their own practice or they go into small practices and they're going to be the ones that are you know, responsible for helping to modernize that firm. And when on day one, I you know, question them, what have they used? And um, some, you know, it's like, have you ever used Google Drive? So like start like super basic. And most of them say no, which is fascinating because the university uses Google for work for educa- the education product. They all have it. And they don't know about it. The one thing, actually, that most of like if there's going to be a technology that they know about, it's usually Clio, because Clio, as far as more modern tools, because it's in the clinics.
0: Exactly. And yeah. so
3: um, the so the way that this can be done, and that's so that's third year. That's usually about fifteen to twenty five students that take this class, and that's the only one that's offered like this in the school. So they are going to be the only ones exposed to. You know, 13 weeks of here's where the technology is. Here's what a modern practice looks like. You know, I've been an advocate that you have to start and law schools are doing this. There's you know, what we uh, there's probably about a dozen or so that are yeah. doing this well that you know, start the first year and really start indoctrinating what modern practices look like. So it just has to be it can't be a two hour you know, elective at the end if you think you might be starting a right. practice. Like, no, it applies to everybody and has to start on really day one.
4: And I guess I, I could uh, do my best uh, channeling of Ron Stout from Chicago, Ken, who said law students are inherently conservative. And that doesn't mean socially. It means in the way that they approach their legal education, right? If you have an option of taking some class in your third, we are called uh, let's say it's like a deep, uh, a, a deep analysis of indemnification clauses or uh, alternative ways to provide legal services, you're all going to flock to the one that you think might get you that best traditional legal job and really understand deeply the horrific indemnification clause. That, that is just something that we've been kind of beaten down to do. And I think that the law schools who are really, really challenging and making students understand and be aware of innovation are the ones that are telling them, hey, it's okay. It's okay to take a clinic. It's okay to think this way versus that way. It's okay to understand maybe coding or understand how to build an application versus just learning the rote law and a way of issue spotting problems and I have discussed this with several educators, and even deans, is that we need to do a better job, I think, as, as lawyers and as education, of teaching people to be problem solvers instead of problem creators. Um, I, I ask people, like, when was the last time you gave a law school test, and the answer was seven, or guilty, never, right? Mm-hmm. Because what you want people to do is find problems, mm-hmm. and as the legal profession has put that out to the public, they view us as people who create more problems. They come to us with one and they get 20 back because that's how we show our value. And we need to be doing a better job of answering their question and solving their problem first before we start tackling all the other ones that they don't even know about.
5: I wanna jump in on the education of technology because Clio does participate in close to 200 law schools on this. And while I'm really proud of that, I don't think law students should focus on any one particular technology brand but instead take that same analytical reasoning that you're being taught you know, in reading case law and issue spotting and applying it to the technology. If you see a great feature in a non-legal piece of technology, you should be asking yourself, why don't I have that in my legal technology? Hey, and it's probably there. Um, one of the more frustrating things about being a legal technologist is you build a great tool and maybe 30% of lawyers use the entire feature set. They tend to buy it, and they use the one thing they needed at the time they bought it, and that's it. So don't rush out feeling like you have to learn every new piece of technology out there. Instead, learn how to adapt to the technology you have and ask questions about it and be analytical about it, and that will serve you better as both a lawyer or in these alternative legal careers throughout your entire life.
2: You know, there's a, um, just real quick on the point you made about the professors and all, in that, there's a professor from, I think, University of Alabama Law School who wrote a piece a few couple of years ago about how what we really need are more, rather than clinics, which are great, but right. fewer people do it, more professors need to be going out doing sabbaticals Absolutely. and practicing because when they go out and find out this is what practice looks like now <laughs> and ah. not what happened 30 years ago, they start understanding, oh, well, this is how I need to orient yeah. my questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is going to, that's a great way of segueing into what my next question was, and that is... Do you think law schools are doing enough to make their students practice ready the moment they graduate?
5: Heck no.
4: No. And it's really not, that. that's really not how we've set it up. I mean, that's not the sandbox that we set up for them. We set up a sandbox to learn critical thinking, not to actually practice law. Sure. I mean, you take a look uh, across the pond in England, you have to, before you can actually hang a shingle, you have to have two years of experience under uh, under a qualified, to get a practicing certificate. Uh, These are places where here in the United States, you can, I mean, if you really thought you could do it under, I guess it's rule 1.1 or your competence, you could go out the day after you practice a bar and represent someone in a capital murder case, right? I mean, and everyone knows there's no way I would do that. But the fact is, is that's how we have set up our own system. We believe that licensure must equal quality. Where in most places, driving and doctors, it's not just the case. It's actually right. the opposite. It's experience.
0: Right. And they not have licensure. residencies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm chad no. no. i think
3: Chad is smart and he's correct so
4: that's that will be yeah. the only time you ever hear him oh, say no, that right. yeah normally well, we yeah. recorded it yeah, yeah it's recorded oh crap
3: it's recorded no that's right are they doing enough no no one's doing enough regardless of right. if we're talking yeah. about you know private lawyers bar associations law schools no no one's doing enough we have so much room to grow it's so I, I think, yeah, so I agree with Chaz.
0: Okay, so how do we make it a better learning experience then for law students? Is it a matter of, of collaborating with bar associations, state bar associations, the ABA, as well as, as outside companies like your own? Or do you somehow try to reconfigure and appreciate the doctrinal instruction in law school, but also create an, a hybrid aspect of law school?
6: I think it's a good place for where accrediting can play a role. Some input I learned from like my other graduate uh, education, my MBA, was that a lot of us came in from accredited schools, but not every accredited school is equal. Mm -hmm. And so they would evaluate you when you came in to see what you were bringing from your undergraduate degree. And they would evaluate how long it would take you to get through your MBA program. And if you went to a pretty high caliber school, you could, you know, automatically, test out of some things but they also had not a remedial program but they would add to your duration this is where accrediting could play a role if you're an accredited school you have to have perhaps a certain technology proficiency and perhaps you have to have certain clinical requirements of your students before they graduate And i think it's a great place to sort of equalize the playing field there, and I think that might be one place that the universities could focus.
2: The Department of Education has a few things to say about accrediting law schools. Uh, They just did. did. And they just did. I
5: I think, though, that's really high level, and I think what the listeners might be more interested in is what they can do as law students to improve their legal education. And the answer is don't wait for the law school. Absolutely, Beg, borrow, and steal whatever experience you can get at a law firm from day one. And I also think you should not necessarily look at limiting yourself to the law school's curriculum. One of the things that I wish I had done more in law school was take more stats classes, which were totally outside of the law school's curriculum. But I think alternative legal careers actually rely a lot on not just critical lawyer skills, but also critical analytical and reasoning skills that exist outside of law. And so if you think, the traditional practice of law is not your ultimate end goal. And I'm talking like years after you exit law school, grab some extra education while you can now. It's the best time to do it.
4: So I'm going to go for uh, hopefully most controversial statement in this. And and I, I would say that we as lawyers and when we When we we study and when we look at the traditional model of the the partnership model of law where only lawyers can own a piece of equity, only lawyers have a seat at the table, we have this idea that as lawyers we need to learn to be technologists, we need to learn to be accountants, we need to learn to be design, we need to learn process management, we need to learn... Uh, technology. And the fact is that when I went to law school at USC and I would step out on the kind of porch of it, and I would look and I would see the business school, I would see the school of design, I would see the school of engineering, and I would say, That's funny. None of them forced their people to learn law. So why do I feel as a lawyer I'm being forced to learn what they do? And what we need to do is to get law students comfortable to look outside the profession of law for people who are truly experts in design, truly experts in process improvement, truly experts in efficiency and marketing and caring for the customer in a way that when you look at someone as a client, I think that's someone who needs something from me. And when I look at a customer, I need something from them. I need their loyalty, I need their faith, I need their trust. And it's just another way of looking at the legal problem and thinking that it's not just me and my fellow lawyers that can solve it. It's other people in other professions that need a seat at the table.
0: Yeah, and that that type of relationship is not taught in law school. It really isn't.
3: Something earlier you mentioned, you know, the role of bar associations. So that's a big focus of mine. I mentioned earlier, but and I've barfed up some blog posts on this uh, <laughs> multiple times. That, you know, Lovely visual. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> kind of what. That's basically how I write. And um, but yeah, that's so kind of
0: work. That that's how I work on my exams actually. Right. I, yeah. yeah that's, right. Well, yeah. But I digress. Um,
3: so. I think where the magic is going to happen, and we've got kind of three groups that are somewhat adverse to each other. You've got the law schools, bar associations, and let's say legal tech as a label. Mm -hmm. And everybody's trying to figure out how do you play nicely together. And the bar association role now, and I think I know that bars are trying to make a good effort at changing this, but the traditional way that bars have been interacting with law schools is you put up a a table with free pizza and your application, and say, Look, you can be a free member, and then for the next three years, you're going to get emails and have no idea, like, really what it means to be part of the bar. So, the kind of like the what I was talking about, what needs to start on day one. I think during orientation, the law schools and bars need to have such a deep relationship, and the involvement where you know, bars need to be in the you know, life of that law student, not just in you know, random email they get. because. So let's say, you know, as law schools figure out how to prepare lawyers, there's not a handoff right now that's really good between law school and bar associations. Hmm. So I remember during my orientation the first week at uh, my firm, they said, you're going to join your local estate in the ABA. We're going to pay for it. Now, those times have changed. Yeah. And the behavior of new lawyers has changed in that, you know, the, the natural tendency to join the bars if they're voluntary, just, it just doesn't happen as much because they're trying to figure out value. And so if you have the law schools and bars kind of working together on day one you know, during law school orientation and the bars are showing, hey, here's once you get out of school, here is how we're going to help you be a better lawyer. Here are the people that are going to be those that refer work to you or these are the people that are going to hire you for jobs. You're trying to figure out how to get a job. Well, the humans that are going to hire you are the same ones at the bar, but you don't have that kind of interaction. And uh, that law school class I mentioned earlier, one of the requirements that they have is they have to join the Dayton Bar Association and they have to participate in two meaningful events throughout the semester. It is the most controversial require I make them write this giant business plan of coming up with like you know law school mo- or law firm Don't models. Don't they
5: get like free participation too? It's <laughs> free. Like it costs them nothing it's, but like two evenings of their lives yeah. and this is controversial. Yeah, it,
3: yeah. They complain about it so much. I've had students like make up attendance at like events it's like it's crazy that like to they you think I'd be like forcing them and then you know they have to do write-ups on these events and oftentimes the write-up is Wow, that was so much more beneficial because I talked to this judge and this lawyer and they said they'd help me out with this and oh, no kidding. That's why you're required to do, you know, go to a happy hour. You're welcome for your assignment. But so to try to like get that engagement and part of the problem is on the law school side too because the professors aren't involved for the most part mm-hmm. and they haven't practiced in a long time. So, you know, we need to get the law schools involved too in the bar. So, I think that's where a nice handoff will happen over time, but that's not easy. That's changing behavior for both types of institutional you know, situations.
0: All right. Let's have some fun. Let's Uh-oh. hearken back to law school, okay? And uh, I'm curious if you guys remember the first time you were cold called by a professor and what that experience was like. Uh,
2: first, no, I don't. But <laughs> favor- favorite time of was cold called that I can think of was... Uh, I had uh, Professor Linda Silverman, very difficult Civ Pro professor, the hardest one, uh, and she had written her own textbook, but it was in draft form. She encouraged everybody to always find typos and, like, mark them and let her know later because she's working on it. Uh, And the class was going on. It was international shoe, so middle of the semester. (laughs) Middle of the semester, I'm going along, and there's a goddamn typo in it, right? So I start, like, going like this, and then I just hear... Patrice. And she usually repeats the question, and she just chose not to. So I like looked up because I was waiting for the repeat, and then it didn't happen. And I just stared at her, and I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm fixing an error in the book. She uh, said, you're not helping yourself. And <laughs> then she repeated it. I got it right. There you right. go. Obviously. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. What about Chaz?
4: Uh, so I, I don't know if I really remember the first time. I remember the most memorable one. And uh, so I, I was a little bit older of a law student. I was in my late 20s. I had i uh, been a Navy pilot for about eight years before, and uh, Greg Keating, who is a professor in our torts class, we were studying a case about um, a, a Navy shipyard where a bunch of sailors, after going out and getting really hammered, walked back on their ship and they turned a, a valve in the dry dock that actually tilted the ship over and sank it. And he looked at me and he goes, Chaz, you were a drunken sailor, so you probably know what's <laughs> going on here. And I literally thought I was going to die. And he totally had me pegged. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 it, it was it was one of those things where you're just like, thanks for calling out everything that I just didn't want anyone to know about me.
0: Uh, <laughs> Joshua.
5: So I doubled up on classes. I took, like, summer classes as well as I was a law clerk with the Missouri Attorney General. So one day I had an employment law class, and I was actually at the Attorney General's, like, writing briefs and stuff and did not do the reading for the class oh no so of course i was immediately called to like sum up the case say you know what you thought about it right or wrong and i, I flipped the coin i said this one was wrong and the professor immediately started grilling me for like the next 15 minutes on this case <laughs> so i am like frantically reading ahead i am attempting to like come up with the reasoning for this position that i had just made up out of no point point. And at the end of the class, he calls me up and he goes, actually, you argued that really well. I was the clerk for the judge on that opinion, (laughs) and you've convinced me we were wrong. Wow! Yeah. And so... The closest
4: thing to practicing law in real life ever, by the way. Yeah.
5: (laughs) So don't be afraid to stand by your guns when you're called, right? The worst thing that can happen is you can impress your professor, and... Always look up your professor's bios on like day one of the class so you will not make that mistake ever again. Go. Oh, that's a great
0: hmm. tip. What about you, no. Chad?
3: I can't, I've been thinking, I don't really have any good memories of being called on. I just remember everybody else because of you, like, after <laughs> class. <you're> like, <laughs> Oh, do you hear Joe's answer? What an idiot. And, like, that won't be me, you know. That's what I remember. Is this you know, is everybody... why he's
4: such a good friend.
3: Aww. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. why was, like, <laughs> well, you asked I was like. In law school, I was a very caring and collaborative student. There you go.
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah. What
0: <laughs> Lawrence, what about you?
6: Oh Yeah, I'm kind of with Chad. I don't remember. Uh, I don't really remember too much about the details. I was kind of in a stupor of being tired all the time from staying up late and studying. But I do remember one time uh, coming in kind of late to class and, And I think, I'm trying to remember the professor, it was contracts. And I sat down and I I didn't catch any flak walking through the door, which was great. But then I made the mistake of opening my laptop, which I left my MP3 player on. Uh-huh. And it started blaring techno music in the middle of the lecture, and I had to get up and leave. So. Techno, really? Oh, that is perfect. Uh, techno
0: music uh, for Lawrence. Oh that is boy. a good fact to know about right now. All that right, is so, excellent. <laughs> we have a lot of one uh, else, new law students tuning in, and of course more experienced law students. Um, what are some things you wish you had known before you started law school that could have helped you be more successful academically as a law student?
2: Yeah. Hmm. Um, I actually came in, I had no one else in my family who was a lawyer, so I I had no one to even talk to. So uh, that was one problem. I, I always felt that the other people in my class, and thankfully NYU was very collaborative, so people would help me, but I felt like the students who had at least some family member, family friend, whatever, that they'd at least spoken to about law school always had a leg up. So if you can't find somebody, find friends who might know people who know people and just at least have a sense of what you're going into.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's good, I, I was the same, pretty much the same way, didn't really have a lot of family, or maybe even any family that's close that were lawyers, so it was all kind of new. And my roommate from undergrad and I went to law school together, and we lived together in law school, and he was at the same situation, so we're both completely blind on it, which is a horrible situation to have two people feeding problems to one another about how bad this is going to go, so <laughs> that's, yeah, I think having somebody is, is not a bad idea.
4: So I, I think you, you just can't take it too seriously. At the end of the day, it's still just school. And I know it's an important school, and I know it might seem like the most important thing in your life right now. Uh, but back in the day, a drill instructor told me once, you should really focus on the things that are going to keep the sun from coming up the next day and not worry too much about all the other things that are out there. And when I talk to law students about this, I tell people to, be, to work hard, and everyone wants to work hard. But the one thing people don't really tell you is that it's okay not to be the number one student. There's so many people in law school who have just been so driven and been so successful in every aspect of their life. You know, whether it was uh, being, you know, pride student in kindergarten to being a valedictorian of their class. And they get this idea uh, and they don't really realize that they're gonna be lumped in with the valedictorian of everyone else's class, (laughs) right? And some of the people who are the best at the best of what they've done. And when they come out in, you know, like the 30% mark and they freak out and think, oh, well, I'm just a failure. I might as well go pull shots at Starbucks, which by the way is an awesome job (laughs) Uh, and and, yeah, great. Yeah. (laughs) But but when they think that way, they give up almost like a little part of their soul dies when they realize they're not going to be the astronaut of pilots. You know what? Not everyone is going to be the managing partner of the largest law firm in the world. It's like not every basketball player is going to be LeBron James some people have a role to play that doesn't have to be the very best of x and if you get into your mind to strive for it but then accept where you are and continue to try and better yourself you're gonna be a lot happier as a human being because for all the people that sit and regret man that's just a really dark place to be in life so it's really just about focusing on what you got and where you can go and not focus on what you didn't get and what you're never gonna get doesn't that pr- like create mediocrity <laughs> though and i mean i mean that like like, I mean, it, like yeah, I know
3: there are certain people have certain roles, yeah. but like, it just seems like you're encouraging that some, well, you know, just, yeah, some people are not going to try as hard as others. But from like an employer perspective, even if you're not going to end up on top, I want that drive. Yeah. Not everybody's well, going to be number one. No, no, you got to you know, have the drive. But then, but kind of what you're saying it's like well if you know you're not going to be great then you know don't have to try like just relax it's cool
4: I think it's all about what the definition of great is and I'm just saying that if the only way you feel like you can be great is as a basketball player is to be LeBron James then you're not setting your sights at the right spot of what great means Great means helping other people. Great means solving amazing problems that other people haven't been able to solve. And it doesn't mean that you have to be looked at from inside the profession as great. You can be looked at from people outside the profession, your clients, your customers, and they can think you're great. And that should be more important to you than what a law professor or what a colleague thinks of you.
0: And great could also mean just being willing to be there for your fellow classmates. It's okay if you guys are wrong. (laughs) That's fine. It's okay. It's all right to be wrong. As long as you
3: accept it, it's cool. So If you want to accept that you're wrong, Chaz, (laughs) that's
0: fine. Boy, can you tell these guys are lawyers? Okay, Joshua.
5: Law school grading is set up to have 90% of every class just be at the bottom. The curve is a real thing, and most law students never experience that prior to law school. So... It is a big shock, like Jazz was talking about, where you may do awesome on the exam, and you might still get a B. And that's just because of a curve, and it's it's not your fault at all. So one of the things that you'll have to learn in law school is bouncing back. And that's actually a great skill that will carry you very far past law school. So when the first bad grade happens, and everybody has one in law school, you need to look at it as the opportunity to learn the skill to bounce back.
0: Develop resilience. Mm -hmm.
6: I think one of the things that's important when you go to law school is, you know, we're all professionals when we get out and uh, we're going to be eking out our career. And uh, I just think that uh, it's a great time to meet some uh, really terrific people in your life. So you're in there and you're going through miserable experiences together. Miserable experiences often forge bridges of friendship. And so I think one thing I think is good to keep in mind is that you know, law school students like to argue. And I've noticed lately that people tend to argue and take things personally. And I think it's okay just to disagree. You know, I agreed to disagree. We're not going to agree on this one point, so don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a three-year adventure, so be excellent yeah. to each other.
4: All right, All right. Oh, Bill and
6: Ted. Ooh, nice, nice. Nice,
0: <laughs> nice, nice, nice. All right. Any last parting words of wisdom from the five guy roundtable?
2: I'll take advantage of this last words to maybe not wisdom but it is true that we kind of flagged this earlier that it is a five guy round table which is problematic uh it makes it seem like the only way to get out of practice is to be a man and that's not really true uh no. i would just say that as at above the law for instance i am the i'm the only you know white guy there there you, there are paths to alternative careers that are not you know that are more diverse than i'm representing by happening to be here
3: Let's be clear. This was put together based on five suckers that would show up <laughs> during well, happy hour. Well, during <laughs> happy hour, <laughs> while, <laughs> this, while this place is being torn down, literally, <laughs> <laughs> so. and
0: willing to talk to the law student. I appreciate that. Yeah.
4: The the only advice I ever got that I thought was great was from a flight instructor, and he just told me to keep the pointy end forward, the dirty side down, and make all your landings the same numbers your takeoffs. And I think that that kind of I think that kind of really rolls forward into law, right? Just 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 look at the basics and the rest of it's going to take care of itself
0: awesome
5: most of what we're exposed to is either an episode of suits on what the practice law is like and it's not like that at all no or the people who've kind of stuck it out and what's there are some really interesting stats about there about the the kind of alternative careers like for example there are more gen x gcs than there are gen x partners at big law firms and so don't Just look at the stereotypes and the bad TV. There are really awesome opportunities out there. Go find what you like and what you're passionate about and make that your career, and you will be so much happier as a law student and as a lawyer for the rest of your life.
6: Yeah, I think Josh took a little of my thunder there, but I think it's important to pick what you're passionate about because you'll find a way inevitably to be good at it. And I think that recently you know, I've discovered that wholesale. And so I guess the only other thing I would add on to that is to uh, be involved while you're there and make sure you get the full exposure you're there once and yes you know you're going to be tired but it's okay to stay up late and be tired just get the most out of it while you
2: can
0: one last question guys for our listeners who want to follow up with you how can they reach out to you
2: joe at above the or the twitter which is at joseph patrice
3: we'll just do twitter for me because my email's not that simple <laughs> it's <laughs> at chad e burton or sade as Lawrence likes to refer to me as <laughs>
4: Uh, my Twitter is uh, Chaz Ramp C-H-A-S-R-A-M-P. I'm also a Chaz R at LegalZoom.com. If you have complaints, send them to Dan Lear at Avo. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh,
5: the best way to get a hold of me is always Twitter, and it's at Joshua Lennon. And that's one in in the middle. Most people spell it like the beetle, and I'm a little closer to the dictator excellent
6: they can find me on twitter uh, <laughs> at lawrence esq and uh, lawrence coletti at legaltalknetwork.com
0: okay joe chad chaz joshua and lawrence guys thanks so much for joining me today and thank you all for joining us we hope you've enjoyed another episode of our podcast and we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the aba law student podcast on itunes and take a moment to rate and review us as well you can also reach us on twitter at, at ABA LSD using the hashtag Podcast. We want to hear what's on your mind. I'm Sandy Gallant at at Sandy Gallant on Twitter, and we want to thank you for listening to the ABA Law Student Podcast. Stay tuned, expect more, and until next time, podcasters, study hard.
1: If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBard.org forward slash lawstudent. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network.